So this week, we are wrapping up our journey through the season of Lent. Uh, over the last six weeks, we've been focused on finding the sacred, the holy in the midst of every day. We've done that in part by looking at some of the, the ordinary, everyday things that are important to the story of Lent, things that Jesus invites us to see as sacred. And by paying attention to those small, everyday things, we're able to see the holy and the sacred in all everyday things around us. Today is Palm Sunday. The, the, the church gathers around uh, one of the most colorful events uh, of our faith heritage, the, the triumphal entry of Jesus. Now, today we're going to be looking at Matthew's version of the story. Last week, you may remember, we looked at Luke's. Each of the four gospel writers pays attention to a little bit different part of the story. It's important to remember that Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. And so he emphasizes some important elements that may matter to a Jewish audience more so than a Gentile audience. So I want to invite you to see if you can see some of those differences that may take place there. Now, just to set the story, you may remember that, that Jesus and his disciples are coming to Jerusalem by way of Bethpage through the Mount of Olives. And as they got close, Jesus sends out some of his disciples ahead and tells them to, to, to get a donkey. Matthew actually says a donkey and a colt. Now, please don't try to uh, resolve this conundrum in your head. Don't try to picture Jesus riding two animals at the same time. You'll just get distracted and you won't be able to pay attention. It can't be resolved. I'm not exactly sure why that is. But as we said last week, that was done in part to fulfill what the prophets had prophesied 500 years before. So listen now to, to Matthew's version of this story, the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Today's scripture reading is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 8 through 11. Here begins the reading. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So according to the liturgical calendar, today is the first Sunday of Holy Week. The most important week, many say, of the entire Christian year. The climax of Lent, the, the journey through this sacred season. And in many ways, this week is all about the passion of Jesus. Now, I've always been intrigued by that phrase, the passion of Jesus, Marcus Borg, who's a scholar, a biblical scholar, says that there is both a narrow meaning to this phrase as well as a more broader meaning to this phrase. The narrow meaning basically points to the crucifixion of Jesus, the excruciating death on a cross. But if we focus only on Good Friday, we risk, the, we risk missing the fuller understanding of that phrase, the passion of Jesus, which is mainly 
what is Jesus passionate about? What is Jesus passionate about? And to begin to wrestle with that question, we can look first at the entry into Jerusalem. In the story that you just heard, Matthew pays very close attention to some important details to the historical magnitude of this moment. He wants to make sure that that it's clear that the Messiah, the King, the Savior, the one that we have been waiting for, that we have been waiting so long for, is here. This is the one that's coming into the city. The point is unmistakable. That that royalty is on the way. That, that, That this, though, is a different kind of royalty. One that has never been seen before. He was riding in. People began to to wave branches. Only in John's gospel of the version, though, that are they palm branches. Mark just says leafy branches. Matthew, as you just heard, says just says that they were branches without defining or getting specific. Luke, as you may remember last week, doesn't mention branches at all. He talks about people laying their cloaks, their robes, their coats as a way of showing their devotion. You see, it was common custom at that time and in the ancient Near East to cover in some way, shape, or form the path of someone that was thought to be worthy of that honor. Sort of like rolling out the red carpet, if you will. This was a gesture that was reserved only for the most honored. In the Hebrew Bible, the the Old Testament as we refer to it, uh, Joshua, this is given to Joshua. You see, also, it wasn't just what those people that were gathered there along the parade route, it wasn't just what they did, but it's also what they said. Did you hear what they said? They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they're quoting there is Psalm 118. And that Jewish audience that I spoke of a moment ago, that Jewish audience would have known that psalm by heart. It was an important part of the the Passover ritual that they had been celebrating since they were children. And so they would know those words by heart. Doing this, they were hailing Jesus as, as their king. This was his royal procession. Now, the problem, though, is that the Romans understood the significance as well. In fact, scholars believe that there were actually two processions entering into Jerusalem that day. The one that you just heard about, the one that we celebrate and and remember and sometimes even reenact on Palm Sunday. But there was another procession that was entering Jerusalem on that day that most of us have never heard of. We don't know about this from the Bible. It's not there, not mentioned in any way, shape, or form. But we know about it from the Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. Now, it's important to remember that the gospel writers were not reporters. They're not historians. They were preachers like me. Preachers, as my family will tell you, we never let the facts get in the way of a good story. It's not always accurate historically. That's not their intention. But Josephus, on the other hand, he was a historian. He was focused on facts. He was focused on historical details. 
And Jesus, Josephus would point out that, that on that same day, there would have been another procession entering Jerusalem from the other side of the city. Jesus was coming from the Mount of Olives on the east, but entering from the west would have been a procession of about a thousand Roman soldiers. Mounted cavalry, foot soldiers, weapons, and all of the regalia. And at the head of that would have been the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, a name that many of us are familiar with. And he would have been coming from Caesarea. And he would come up each year during this time as a sign of force, designed to suppress any thoughts of, of rebellion during the Passover. Now remember that, that, that Passover was, was to remember the release from bondage. It carried with it an undertone of, of liberation, a hope that somehow God was going to, to free his people once again. And so Pilate's procession was there to show, uh, to show force as a means to, to remind the people that the people of Jerusalem, who was ultimately in control, and that, that was Rome. One of the Roman customs at that time, one of the ways that they celebrated military successes to welcome royalty was by waving palm branches. And the palm branch, you see, was a sign, a symbol of triumph and victory. It was a way of symbolizing that victory, that praise, that, that presence of royalty. So I want you to picture it if you can. You picture it, on, on one side, coming from one side of town, was this parade led by a powerful king with thousands of soldiers, horses, weaponry, symbolizing power and wealth and cruelty. But on the other side, coming from, coming from the other way, was a man on a donkey. There were no soldiers, just a group of ragtag casts off who were waving palm branches, symbolic of a victory. As one scholar says, branches of liberation. Some historians refer to this as the first nonviolent demonstration. As if to say, there's a new king, a new kingdom, one that's not of this world, but rather one that is built on the radical desire to love God and to love one another. So radical that, that we will even love our enemies. Back in 2004, UPS, the United Parcel Service, decided that they were going to try an experiment. And they decided that, that for the next few years, their delivery trucks would make right turns only. They did a study a few years later, and it turns out it saved somewhere around 10 million gallons of gas every year and reduced emissions equivalent to taking 5,000 cars off the road every single year. The CEO came back and said, I, I know what you're thinking, but it really does work. The TV series Mythbusters went back and, and tested this idea and confirmed that, yes, despite more turns that it sometimes takes, the policy of only turning right, it does work. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, there's a new way. There's a new way, a better way. One that isn't subject to power or authority or fear, but one that is based on love, and peace, forgiveness. 
Now, Jesus' response in the face of oppression would be mirrored 2,000 years later in the actions of Martin Luther King. He once said, you can bomb our homes and threaten our children. You can hurt us, but we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And in the process, we will love you. We will love you until that day comes when finally we will win you over. And when we do, we'll have a double victory. For you will be changed and our world will be changed. Jesus was a new kind of king. He was a king who wanted his people to to love their enemies, who promised to be peacemakers. He wanted those that were on the underside of power, they were the ones that were to be blessed. He was saying that victory will look different from this moment on. That it's going to come not by force, but by love, by mercy, by forgiveness, by humility. I wonder, though, if sometimes we get lost. We get mixed up. We lose our way. I was reading recently about one of the fastest growing churches in the world with branches in 32 different countries all over the world, including some right here in the DFW Metroplex. It's called Winner's Church. And according to its leaders, it lives by a motto that comes from America's religious culture. Here's the motto. Be happy be successful, and join the winners. Be happy. Be successful. Join the winners. And apparently people flock to a church like that. But it all depends on how we define winning, doesn't it? I wonder what kind of church you might have if your motto were, whoever wishes to be great among you must learn how to serve. Or what about this for a motto? Those who want to save their lives for my sake will lose them. And those who lose their lives for my sake will gain them. You see, church, we gather here on Palm Sunday. And we wave our leafy branches and we celebrate. And we look forward to to next week when we will gather here together to celebrate Easter, the celebration of resurrection, of new life. But in between, In between today and next week, those two processions that we discussed a moment ago, they will collide throughout the rest of the week. This week that we call holy, the Passion Week. And the Gospels tell us about a series of debates and conflicts between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes. And that tension, that tension will rise and it will rise and it will build and build. And before the week is over, the authorities will crucify him. Each day this week at noon, we will be pushing out daily, short, online Holy Week services. Led by our clergy and some of our musicians, you'll be able to find those on our website, on Facebook, on YouTube. And as we walk through the week together, I want to invite you to to reflect on those crucial events of that week to experience that suffering, to witness what it really looks like to truly lay down your life for another person, to lose your life in order that you might find it. You see, the truth is, is that if you don't experience all of it, it's easy ultimately to miss the point. 
to skate from cheerful event to the next without really going into the valley. And if we do that, we do what much of American culture does. We just sort of skim along the surface. The surface of superficiality, seeking one happy circumstance after another, terrified of going deep into something, into anything. But it's important that we do that so that when Easter comes, we can truly celebrate. As I often say, you can't have a resurrection without a death. But isn't that what we try so hard to do? Sadly, I think all too often it is. Which is why, in part, in the Christian tradition, we have lost our footing. We've, we've lost our way, and so many people are leaving the church in droves. Be happy. Be successful. Join the winners. So I want to close with this. Anne Lamott, in her book, Traveling Mercies, one of my favorite books of all time. She tells a true story about her minister, Veronica, who happened to be, who happened to be a, a seminary classmate of mine. She told this story one time in a sermon that, that when Veronica was seven years old, her very best friend got lost one day. And she found herself, this little girl, running, walking around town, trying to find, trying to find a landmark, a single landmark that would tell her where she was. She couldn't find any. Pretty soon she was scared and frightened. And finally, a, a, a policeman stopped her and helped her. He put her in the passenger seat, and, and as they drove around, they looked for monuments. They looked for 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 places that she would recognize. And then finally, finally she says, Sir, you can stop here. That's my church. That's my church, and I can always find my way home from there. Lamont would say in her book, and that is why I've stayed so close to mine. Because no matter how bad I am feeling, no, no matter how lost or lonely or frightened, when I see the faces of other people at my church, when I hear their voices, I can always find my way home. The question that we started this, the question that we started with was, what is the passion of Jesus? What is Jesus's passion? His passion ultimately was God the kingdom of God. His passion was this alternative vision of life, this new way of seeing, this new way of experiencing the holy and the sacred. His passion was for peace, for justice, for wholeness. His passion, ultimately, was that all of us would find our way home.